On this episode of Pie Hard, we investigate what's gone wrong with season 2020. We talk tennis breaches, player conjugal visits, and we review the new trend of players calling their mum when they get a game. This is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. Bronze had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. Because we don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable with myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Pie Hard. This is episode 14 of the pod, and as is the life of a Collingwood supporter, there's lots to cover off, both good and not so good. So let's get going. I'm Damien Miller, and tackling the big stories this week are Alex Watkins and Jay Tarabo. Well, it's fair to say it's been a tough fortnight in Pie Land, and more specifically our time in the West, which is uh, thankfully a thing of the past now. Alex, uh, you've been keeping an eye on the Pies during their WA stay and have some thoughts on Western Australia, and more specifically our doomed romance with Optus Stadium. Tell us more. Look, Damien, you're right. We've been sitting on the edges of our seats uh, watching these uh, games over in the West, and hasn't it been an emotional roller coaster? I don't know about you guys, but I think because of the COVID situation, we are so invested in that two hours of footy a week that when it doesn't go to plan, it feels like doubly difficult. Do you guys get that? Yeah, I do. I have this theory, um, which I'll share now, is that because we can't go to games and we can't go to pubs and we can't let out that raw emotion, the yelling, the screaming, Mm. it's all been bottled, right? So we're not having that release. We're not getting that like weekly fix of yelling at someone, whether it's an umpire or like an opposition player or a supporter or whatever. So as much as COVID is like, you know, leading us to kind of bottle up these emotions, I think we've just lost the, we've lost the thing that, that that kind of kept us a little bit sane um, and would maybe like stop a lot of the stuff that you're seeing on say a Twitter or an Instagram post-match, and I, th- I think we'll cover this a little bit later on in the pod, but I feel like we've lost our opportunity to yell and scream and just release a little bit of vitriol, a valve release, if you will. But, Alex, what do you think? Totally agree. Um, I feel like we get to the game each week and with all the bad news swirling around, particularly down south here, it just feels like we've earned some, <laughs> like, easy, kind of beautiful, fluid goal kicking. Um, we had a little taste of it with young Jordan Degoe a couple of weeks back and since it's just dried up again and it just feels like an emotional clusterfuck. <laughs> there is a lot of heat um, emanating from the socials at the moment. I don't know if you boys have uh, managed to catch any of that. Specifically, there was, there was a fair, fair bit going on post-Fremantle game, which I don't know... I don't know if it's out of the ordinary. I don't know if it's more or there's, um, or that's kind of consistent and we're just not doing too well. But it definitely feels like the, the flames of, of, 
uh, vitriol and social hatred are uh, at an all-time high. Totally. Turbo, what was your overriding feeling watching those two games against the Sandgropers? Oh, it's it's horrible, but it's, my roller coaster is a little bit different because when we lose, I'm like, oh, this season's a sham. I'm not interested in anything. 60-minute quarters, whatever, you know what I mean, throw the towel in. And when we win, I'm like, this is so good. So It's so great that we get to watch footy. But, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I like at the moment I'm just not interested, but if we beat Sydney this week, I'll be back on, you know. So, And I think a lot of people are like that. I so. know what you mean. The, the asterisk comes and goes from our lives. We vacillate totally. between like this is just a sham, and um, this is the only thing I have looking to look forward to in my week. Yeah, I guess we can safely predict that if we flog the swans, then um, we can say bye bye to the asterisk for another four days. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's an exciting sham, so you know. Totally. Well, looking at the last couple of weeks in uh, the last couple of games at Optus, it was there was some tough viewing for Collingwood supporters, as we know, and. I just thought we'd open with a just a, a little bit of football analysis. It's not necessarily in our wheelhouse to go too deep on, on the on-field stuff. We are a cultural mm-hmm. podcast after all. But there's just been some concerning signs, I feel, and I think there has been the emergence increasingly of a bit of a template of how to play against Collingwood. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I'm kind of talking about a, couple, a few specific things both the Eagles and the Dockers, I thought, successfully were able to defend the corridor against us, force us to kick longer to you know our talls. Um, they were also adept at pushing numbers back to block up space, uh, the space into which our, fo- our lead-up forwards love love to run into. Basically, I feel like uh, this kind of strategy, whilst it's not anything new, um, it means that when we're low on confidence. We've got some key injuries to some key leaders. Our pressure game's not at, at its best. We're not moving the ball uh, with as much panache as, as we sometimes have seen. I just feel like this template of forcing us to work to our weaknesses is working quite well against us. And when I say weaknesses, I'm just referring to the fact that our tall forwards, when we think of Majacek, who's a workhorse but undersized, Cameron's still developing, Cox out of favour, Dugowie injured. Our tall forwards aren't our big strengths. And more to the point, from my perspective, when we do go a bit more direct to them and the opposition has numbers back, we don't really have the elite-level crummers, as we've discussed in the past, to actually get that crumb, um, you know, mop up and, and score. So just worrying signs to me are that the opposition... Um, seem to have identified ways of keeping the ball off us, keeping the ball out of the contest, out of the stoppage for for larger portions of the game. And then when we get the ball, they're forcing us um, to work with our weaknesses rather than our strengths. So I guess I just wanted to throw to you guys, um, you know, I've got a couple of small suggestions to see what you guys think. For a start, I think what we need to do is make sure that we've got some space in the forward 50 and just leave one big bloke in the square with Jaden Stevenson. Now, the big bloke, it might be Cox. I'm a fan of Cox. It could be Cameron. It could be a Grundy. I'd like to see us develop Grundy's forward craft more and put an elite crummer at his feet. Who's the elite crummer? Steel side bottom. 
Side bottom should be playing 70% forward, 30% in the middle. We've already seen Elliott go into the middle more and more, which I think is beginning to bear fruit. So I think just mixing up that that forward mix a little bit, um, you know, is going to help us. And the big question I've got for you, and this has been, as you mentioned, Damo, the socials have been going mad, Collingwood socials. Everyone's got their say. And one thing I've seen cropping up more and more over recent days is this idea of swinging Darcy Moore forward. He's 203 centimetres, which puts him, I believe, ever so slightly above, uh, taller than Grundy himself. What do you blokes think about the prospect of the gazelle moving forward? Turbo? No, I loved it. I love it. And I, and I, and I thought, was thinking about this a lot last week, but, you know, then the Fremantle game came and, and he was one of, he was probably, I think, one of our best players, you know, and I was like, man, if we put this guy forward, you're like, we're going to have no one back there, you know? Mm. So, I mean, we had, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I think we should definitely try it. I don't think there's any harm. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, I just think that we're just woefully out of form. I, I went through the list and I'm like, besides Moore and Maynard, I couldn't. I can't think of a player like from a that's come from a high base that's gotten better. Mm. Like, honestly, like I don't know, guys. T- t- name name someone who's gotten better. I mean, I think Dacos is having a better season, but he's come from nothing. So. Can you can you think of anyone else? Am I missing anyone? I tend to agree that the improvers have been in our back back line generally. And look, I think there's there's some changes needs need to be made. Um, I'm not sure that it's strategic or personnel moving the magnets. What do you think, Demo? Yeah, look, I have to I have to disagree with more. I think um, with how out of the team um, who was our intercept kind of repellent down in the defensive line, if we were to move more forward, and I'm not against more playing forward, but just at the moment, Darcy Moore brings so much. He brings the aerial kind of intercept play. He's got he's got a very good long kick out of defence. He's tall. He, he can structure up against some of the behemoths of the AFL forward line. I think if you take that away, we're, we're going to be in a world of pain. Um, I agree with moving up the magnets. I think side bottom forward is a great idea on paper. But again, I think with Pendlebury out of the team, we we are lacking a lot of class in the middle. And if you're not winning the ball in the middle, um, it puts your uh, back line under more pressure, as we've seen over the last two games. And the, the supply isn't even getting to the forward line. So I, I feel like at the moment we're plugging a lot of holes and uh, for as long as we're doing that, we're going to really struggle. Um, yeah, well, I, th- I think that we've kind of, we all pretty much agree. I mean, look, uh, to be honest, I was probably playing devil's avocado by bringing up the more thing. I think it is robbing Peter to pay more. To pay more. <laughs> Peter more. <laughs> Jeez, what a mouthful. <laughs> Over to you, Damo. One thing, one thing we haven't talked about is um, Ben Reed. Oh, so, yes, the cranium. Um, ben Reed. Um, Porcelain Ben Reed, as we like to call him. <laughs> what did you call him? Porcelain. But um, if we were to inject a little bit of Ben Reed in the forward line, keep Darcy Moore in the back line. We know that Ben Reed, when he's up and about, is an exceptional mark and a, and a great kick and, and a decent forward. Um, he's not the speculative forward that, you know, is a Darcy Cameron or throwing um, Grundy forward. 
I feel like we do lack. I think we we had two tools. Was it against Hawthorne? We played really well. It sort of straightened us up. And I think to your point, Alex, I like Cox as well. I think structurally, Cox is really important, especially if he's playing out of the uh, the um, centre square. Jeez, uh, we're really getting deep into analysis here, aren't we? It's still very <laughs> high hearts. Um, but I, I, do, I do think Ben Reed forward um, gives us a little bit of structure and strength uh, down the spine. Just a pinch hitter, uh, you think? Maybe like one quarter a week because you're not going to get any more out of him. Well, look. Oh, snap. Yeah, I think, look, we're going to rotate, aren't we, over the next couple of games. So let's. And I think, I mean, Reed can go back as well, too. So, you know, you've got that. I mean, you've got Darcy and Reed who can both swing, you know, if they need to. And I mean, forward. on the football field, okay. He can go forward, he can go back, and he can go down. <laughs> now, Alex, uh, it was the tennis match that stopped a nation, and I believe you have a little bit of information about the uh, the goings on in in uh, Western Australia. We won Nathan Buckley. Gee whiz, Damo, you're putting uh, the acid on me uh, like I've got some inside <laughs> knowledge, so I better come up with something quick, smart, something I didn't get from Fox Sports website. Um, look, we all know, we've we've all read about, seen on the telly, uh, the, the Buckley-Brenton-Sanderson infamous tennis match, which was played outside the bubble um, against two people who were not approved to be in the club hub, and... Look, the, the big news story here is that yet again, despite the pie-hard call just a number of weeks ago to ban self-reportage or self-reporting, <laughs> we've self-reported again and yet again the AFL has shown no mercy and just slapped us with a $50,000 fine half suspended. So we're, we're not getting anywhere, anywhere with this bloody self-reporting business. Just pull your head in. If you want to have a hit at tennis or ping pong or whatever sport does it for you with Molik Kornikova or any other uh, mob, then go for it. But don't self-report, okay? Well, I was I was disappointed with the, uh, <laughs> the going through. Oh, go. um, and what really troubled me was the lack of creativity that the newspapers had with regards to headlines in the wake of uh, Buckley's misdemeanour. I would have thought um, the incident occurring on a tennis court would have uh, perhaps inspired the pun writers of the Herald Sun to uh, perhaps do some do some good work, and uh, we just didn't see it. We saw a few jokes around um, after the Fremantle result of game set match Fremantle, and there were some um, witty observations about Buckley going out the wrong door, a la steel side bottom. But we have asked the uh, pie-hard pun-writing team to come up with some suggestions for some uh, preferred headlines in the wake of the Buckley saga. And I'm going to read out just a couple, and I'd love your take on it, gentlemen. Uh, The first one um, was caught in the act, uh, with court being uh, Mm. the tennis court usage. Not market court. Mm. Another one was rack pack, um, but the rack being the start of the word racket, so R-A-C-Q. Another one potentially that could have been used was juice bags. So instead of douchebags, the term juice 
from from ten- tennis scoring, but one that I really felt um, could have been uh, could have been utilised, uh, and just adding some spice to a situation would have been Buckley Court having sets with Mollick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is some history here, isn't there, Damo? Uh, you did some digging yourself and came up with a photograph of of the team photograph a yes, little while ago right. with yeah. um, a younger Alicia Mollick uh, sitting in the front row adjacent to our favourite uh, friend of Piehard, Pebbles. So what is the uh, historic connection with Mollick and Collingwood? Well, I believe that Alicia Mollick is actually a Hawthorne supporter. So what she was doing at the Lexus Centre in 2006 is uh, beyond my comprehension. Um, but there she was, resplendent in a Collingwood um, jumper, uh, sitting next to Pebbles. Uh, believe it may have had something to do with a, a Commonwealth Games or something to do with that. But, um, yeah, interesting that a photo of uh, Mollick and Buckley does exist. So they must be tight. They must go all the way back to the Lexus Centre, back in the heady days of the mid-2000s. Mm. Um, House was bringing in um, uh, an array of sports stars from uh, from different fields to try and inspire uh, what was a very insipid team back in 2006. So, yeah, they do have a connection. I'll tell you what's for sure is that there's been a lot of hoo-ha over this whole scandal and $25,000 fine to boot for uh, Sanderson Buckley. My question is, Turbo, what transgression uh, would be worth 25k for other individuals in the in the Collingwood uh, club environment? You know, looking into the players' uh, I guess hobbies or or things to keep them uh, in tune during the season, both mentally uh, and physically, and um, and I came up with uh, a. It's hard to lead into this with Magnus Carlson. Does anyone know who Magnus Carlsen is? No. <laughs> no yeah, he's, he's, the chess player. he's the world's number one chess player. And I thought, well, of course, if you're going to digress, uh, it would be with a chess game. But does anyone know the player? Does anyone know the players that have their head in the chess game uh, oh, at Collingwood? Gee. And I can read you a quote. I'll read before. You don't, don't say yet. I'll read you a quote uh, of uh, the way that this player was described. Um, he's quiet, but once you gain his trust, he opens up and he's a warm, gentle, fun loving man. But does anyone have any idea who, who, who this is? Look, I've got no idea. I've got no idea, but just hazard a guess. I'm thinking of a young WHE in the trenches of Gallipoli, um, <laughs> pre digital media with a, a miniature mobile chessboard, perhaps. Um, he just fits that old school. <laughs> aesthetic of the chess player is it is it will hoskin elliott it's it's not it's not and i just want to let you know that this person has had a lot of time to play chess lately as they haven't even been in the team for at least 12 months it's definitely not hoskin elliott because wasn't the clue he comes across as a hard man Mm -mm. no quiet but once you earn his trust he opens up and he's a warm gentle fun loving man He's gentle, that not was, hard. That was, this is a quote from Brody Grundy. Okay, I'm going to go with Lyndon Dunn. It's, no, it's Tim Broomhead, actually. Oh. So, yeah, the forgotten man. Maybe he can be the crummer to, uh, to come in and, wow. um, and, and shark uh, those spoils. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, so Brody Grundy and Tim Broomhead are avid chess, play, chess players 
Um, and they play a lot when, when we travel. So they're probably playing a game right now. Who knows? There's nothing else to do. Um, but I was thinking if Magnus was in town. Isn't 25K the, um, the extent of Tim's salary at the moment? That's a big whack for a game of chess for young Broomhead. That's true. He's on the rookie <laughs> list. <laughs> well, that's fascinating stuff. Um, but Brody could pay it because he just got the contract. So Brody could p- pay a few players' fines, I reckon, yeah. chess or otherwise. Um, Damo, have you got anything in terms of um, what what would be worth twenty five k for a uh, player to transgress those COVID protocols for? I don't really have a um, a practice or a sport in mind, but if I was going to be caught transgressing with someone within the Collingwood ranks, then it would have to be one Alex Wastelitz. And my reason for that is now he's not known for his prowess on a tennis court. Um, he might be a decent chess player. I'd say he's quite strategic, but $25,000 to Alex Wastelitz is, that's his morning coffee. That is, yeah, good, that yeah. is, that is avocado on toast for that man. So if I was going to be caught pants down in a compromising position within the hub Ooh, with a geez. large fine. Things took a turn. With a large fine hanging over my head like the Damocles, I would be calling upon my tennis partner, Alex Wastelitz, to, uh, to pull out the uh, checkbook and write this one off. Jeez, I going to say pull out something else. Well, things really took a turn there, but... Um, Look, my one is um, is a different uh, take on it altogether. I suppose my player, my current Collingwood listed player, who would willingly part with 25K cash, uh, their reasoning behind that would be to have a one-on-one guitar lesson with the following superstar. Oh, shit! Oh, any guesses? Single-handedly bringing rock and roll music back. <laughs> and who would it be? It's um, that's got to be Braden, right? It's got to be our boy. Braden Sire, one-on-one with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine fame. I think that'd be worth twenty-five k for young Braden. Do you reckon the lessons twenty-five grand as well? Yes. <laughs> Now, one of the benefits of a squash fixture in the topsy-turvy AFL environment that we're calling 2020 is that we're seeing something that we love on Pie Hard, and that is a debutante. Now, I'll ask you, gentlemen, is there anything more satisfying than seeing a young player take his or her opportunity, come into a team, play their role, and excite the fans and give us a look at the next wave of Collingwood football is emerging. Now, this year alone, we've had or we've seen Tyler Brown uh, get his get his first shot. We've seen Will Kelly, Artu mm. um, uh, Bosnavalagi. We've seen, and most recently, the Irishman in Mark Keane uh, get their shot. And Turbo, we've seen a, a bit of a trend emerge, and we might. Uh, you know, before we get you to comment on this trend, we might just play our listeners a slight grab. We're walking oh, there. Oh, yeah, walking. I'm just getting, going to get ready there now. Are you walking Sunday? No. No, because I'm, I'm making my debut on Sunday. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I 
Ja, stell dir mal vor, das Game ist in Sunday. Oh mein Gott! Ja, so. Oh mein Gott! Ja, noch vorne zu Sendung. Oh mein Gott, das ist was Leises. Also, ein Quiz. Oh, ein Quiz. Wenn du eigentlich so ja. Yeah. Just there this morning with a team meeting this morning, so. Oh my god. Oh Jesus, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> where, can, where can we watch it? I know, you have to watch it on 9 or somewhere. It's on at 9 o'clock in the morning, so it's actually a good time. Not too at bad. 9 o'clock. Yeah, 9 o'clock, Sunday morning. Now, that's Mark Kane <laughs> calling his mum. I love the uh, I love the change of tune. You know, at the start, it's like almost like, what the fuck do you want? Like, and then into jubilation. But also, this is just cheap media. You know, there's nothing going on out there. Let's get the kid in with the camera right there uh, to film it. Just let it go. Let it go. I have one other thing that I want to know before I move to you, Al, is will they be recording when he calls his mum to tell his mum that he's been dropped for the weekend <laughs> after that horrible left <laughs> seminar in the back. Oh, Deer boy. in the headlights stuff. Maybe that... we can, maybe we should, maybe we should be reporting stuff like that. The, f- the first time you get dropped and you call your mum, you're in tears. If you're going to do one, you got to do the other. None of this half-half stuff. Jeez, oh, that is a savage take, Turbo. That is an absolute savage take. I've got to say... I like these videos. Um, I like it very much against my better judgment, but I love them. They're endearing. Uh, they show the human side of the uh, footballers. The bit I love about that one is when she says, where can we watch it? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's never seen a game of AFL in her life. And um, I think this tradition should go on. They should release as many of these videos as possible, especially with the foreigners. I mean, it worked with R2, it worked with Mark Keane because of the accent, the endearing mm. accent. And I think that we keep it going until inevitably one day they call the Irish mother and she says, what? Australia, what are you doing there? Please tell me it's around the ball. <laughs> so, Brianna Toehill, I'm looking at you. Have you seen an AFL game? Doubtful. Well, this, this actually just really validates um, a bit of a view I've had for a while now, and that is that the real power brokers of AFL teams are now the uh, 19-year-old social media guys. Mm. Now, we saw on the weekend um, the Collingwood digital team disable the comments section on Instagram following what was considered by many, including the Pie Hard team, a shock and disappointing loss. Now, normally these decisions would go up through the, uh, through the board and would be signed off, uh, but late on a Sunday, uh, probably understandable the board's not around, but it's an interesting decision and it just goes to show so much of the team communications now is being driven largely by one or two individuals um, who are in charge of both communications, public relations and the stream of information. And, look, I like, I like, I agree with you, Alex. I like the idea of letting some humanity back into the football club, showing these players as, as humans Mm. rather than the demigods that we so often hold them up. But there's also a dark side um, of the friendly call to mum, and that is when a player doesn't perform up to a standard that we would, would expect, 
and players, uh, oh, sorry, fans feel the need to um, give their true sense and vent. Now, I think, not to editorialise this, but I think the right decision was made by the social media team at Collingwood to disable the comments because there is a balance. Oh. There is a balance between uh, player welfare and, you know, we've all felt after a game, you know, we've all been in that situation where the first thing you want to do is absolutely let them have it, so to speak. But then cooler heads prevail with time and often the next day you can start to um, appreciate certain things. Turbo? Look, let me get this straight. We just lost to the team that is second last on the ladder or was second last in the ladder. Half an hour after the game finishes, bam, there's a post on Instagram of the team walking off the field, right, looking all distraught. I think the picture was even taken at halftime, which is super weird anyway. And then they get upset and have to turn off the comments because there's negative feedback after you've just lost this game. I mean, why? I mean, I, maybe they thought that it could be used as a catalyst to show that there's an emotional side from the fans, but then they just went too hard and they had to switch off the comments. Um, but why even post? What, what's the point? Like, why would you, why, why would you want even, why would you post about your team losing? It just doesn't make any sense. Jeez, well, you, you wouldn't get much social media down at Melbourne Football Club, would you, if they only posted when you win? <laughs> They've got no followers, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's a great call, Alex. I think you have to look. I don't have any issue with them posting um, a shot of the, the guys walking off the field with a thumbs down emoji. Um, I mean, it's better than trying to um, sell it for something that it wasn't. Alex? I just think maybe it goes back to what we opened the podcast with, that – this season in particular, with all of the shit going down, it's like emotions are heightened on both sides of the fence and they're kind of admitting that player welfare is their term for like for young men getting upset because they're away from home um, is becoming an issue in the hub. And we've touched on it in recent podcasts that in this heightened, super confined environment, perhaps... Um, the club itself is getting concerned about just the emotional health of the players, whereas usually that wouldn't be the case. Usually they'd have to just run and gun and do their bloody job. Well, um, it's a good topic to talk about player welfare because, as we know, Collingwood players have touched down in the Sunshine State for their Queensland residency at the marvellous Twin Waters Resort in Maroochydore as featured in Pie Hard 13. Um, now I'm not sure if you guys are across, but the players were greeted last night upon arrival by a select group of wives, partners, and children mm. uh, who'd made the trip up. I think it was a week ago and had sort of been self quarantining in preparation for the guys arriving. I think some players went up as well. Um, now we saw some really joyous scenes and, and for someone who appreciates the emotional side of football, Alex, you're going to love the explanation of this, but we saw scenes of children running up to their fathers, um, loved ones embracing. We saw like hand-painted signs, lots of like raw emotions spilling over. You know, you've got to understand that a lot of these players haven't seen their their children for uh, I think the best part of a month or over a month. So it's not hard to get emotional watching it. But, of course, in the business world, and the pie heart is very much rooted in the business world, 
Make no, <laughs> make, no, make, make no mistake, CFC is a big business and emotion can be a weakness. So I want to run you guys through a couple of points just in regards to WAGs attending the hubs. Mm. Now, the first one is uh, uh, what I'm calling sex discrimination. Now, it's not, this has nothing to do with gender discrimination. I'm talking about how it's effectively game on for players with partners in the hub or as we like to call it, the sex bubble. Um, but for eligible bachelors such as Braden Sire, Brody Majacek, heartthrob Josh Thomas, these guys are locked in the hub and under the watchful eyes of Jeff Walsh 24-7. There's no release. And I believe that this could potentially drive a faction between players, uh, the haves and the have-nots, if you will. Now, point two is Will Hoskin, Elliott and Maine are two players who are woefully, woefully out of form. Uh, but both have very small children. Both are very hands-on fathers, which we love on uh, Pie Hard, um, and we respect that. Um, but does the joys of fatherhood and being re- reunited with a family offset the restless, sleep-affected nights that young parents can sometimes get? So my question to you guys, and we'll come back to this, is will the children be housed in a separate section of the Twin Waters Resort? So the players can actually get a decent night's sleep, or is it going to be? Is it going to be a free for all? Well, I think um, given the father and son rule, there's actually going to be a um, Twin Waters Academy starting up, and we're going to run them through their paces, nice and early, and um, just get a little bit of a head start, perhaps. It's going to be a Scott Pendlebury breeding program, effectively. <laughs> yes, Scott Pendlebury will have a night with each wag, and um, we'll see what happens. We're not far. We're not far off that level of sophisticated scientific breeding where we get two Collingwood stars together and there's a bit of the old turkey basting going on and we're just creating this, the Collingwood superstars of the future, right? Pairing 320 <laughs> game superstars with like greyhounds. The, the, uh, the, the handmaiden's tail in Collingwood. That's right. Now, I'll keep going. We'll touch base on this. So number three is the impact that it could potentially have on Braden Sire's music career. And we talked about this earlier, but we all know that Braden's tastes uh, are very much skewed towards a penchant for a power chord. Oh, shit! That is, in, that is indeed Tom Rell. But what happens when Braden Sire is asked to turn the Marshall amp down from 11 to 3? Um, what's going to happen? Like, surely Braden Sire is, is not one who is going to play guitar with headphones on. That's just not part of the aesthetic. Uh, it's not going to be good for TikTok and we're just not going to see it happen. And I think number four, mm. potentially the most important one, is the potential for a third and final WAG-related breach. So uh, with Steel Side Bottom and uh, Nathan Buckley's recent indiscretion, it's fair to say that the AFL is fast running out of patience when it comes to the Collingwood Football Club. And I am a little bit concerned about a potential third breach um, now, it could be anything. It could be a wag, you know, slipping off to get her nails done or a quick trip to uh, Dreamworld, as we've seen. Mm. But, um, geez, boys, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be a recipe for disaster or the tonic to um, soothe some of our current ales. It's definitely going to create division, I think, definitely between the uh, the players with and the players without. I mean, they could, you know, they may not be able to... Uh, 
go out and fire up the Tinder and, and get their game on. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't practice their fatherhood or fathering. And maybe they could get the players without kids to have the kids for a night while mm. the bonk fest continues. <laughs> That's good. Well, this is where I think you're wrong because I believe I've come up with a solution um, for that issue and it is around this idea of player conjugal visits. Now, what I would love to see is a select group of Sunshine Coast um, spinsters um, who are put through the rigmarole, uh, men and women, sorry, I should say men and women, we're an equal opportunity pod, um, a pie hard podcast, uh, tested and approved by the Collingwood Football Club and potentially book out the honeymoon suite of the Twin Waters Resort in Maroochydore mm. and bring in, maybe it's a Sunday night, a stress relief thing, maybe it's before a match, um, an array of suitably vetted um, partners for some of the eligible uh, footballers within the hub to ensure that everyone, and again, we're all about, we're all about equal opportunity, everyone is getting an opportunity within the confines the AFL has set mm. to uh, enjoy themselves. Mm. Is, there a, is there a, a rule in the club about um, ejaculating before a game? Because I know that's um, sometimes, or is that just, you know, comsy, comsy? I think comsa. that was a Tommy Hafey special, was it? Or was that a, was that a um, I don't know if that was a Tommy Hafey thing or a uh, Barassi, but, yeah, they're, 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 that was old. I think that's very old. I think that's outdated was... Um, yeah. Abstaining, abstaining before a match. I think I think it's a free for all now. I think actually the more the better. Um, but there was a there was the abstaining period of the sixties, and then there was the let it all out of the seventies, where it was commonplace before a game. Mm. I don't know like, where we stand now, but I think they're also in the hub. So what else are you going to do? There's only so many games of ping pong you can play with, uh, or chess with Tim Broomhead. I think it's you know I, I think clearly we've seen the form of the team over the last month hasn't been fantastic, and we know what the situation has been like. So let's. Let's move the magnets. Let's bring them in. Yeah, and there's potentially one thing missing in terms of a free-for-all. I think um, the days of yore, the free-for-alling uh, sexual liberation of the 70s and 80s came to a grinding halt during the infamous Legionnaires spa disaster when, um, you know, that, that particular ailment spread quickly. And uh, in the COVID era, I think we can take some lessons from that Legionnaire Vic, Vic Park spa. Everything was going so well in the uh, Lee Matthews era, but we just tipped it a little bit too far, didn't we, with that spa? I think your suggestion is spot on, uh, Damien. I think some club uh, vetted spinsters, uh, mm. potentially in the um, waterworks wing of the uh, Twin Waters Resort, uh, I think that'll, that'll go down a treat. And, um, as long as it's not in the morning of the game. Morning of mm. the game should be steak and eggs. But um, certainly bring it up to parity with some of those other wild bonking sorts like Chris Mayne. There's one catch though: you're not allowed to fall in love. We don't want to lose any more players. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now we don't want any requests to the Gold Coast trades because they fell in love while they're in the hub. Like so, yeah. I mean, give it a shot, but you know, don't go too hard. Well, unless literally. It's, unless it's a, I can think of a couple couple of players I'd let it slide for, but. We won't go into that. <laughs> now, I'm very excited. We have a new uh, segment on Pie Hard, which I'm about to introduce. And, um, of course, longtime fans of Pie Hard will know that we are connoisseurs. 
of fine wine and viticulture in general. Now, it's a chance for Piehard to have some controversial conversations. Alex, do you want to take this one? Yeah, look, I'm very excited, as we all are, to have our first major sponsor on on board with Piehard. As we know from last podcast, the players get sponsors. Max Lynch uh, is sponsored by EcoChem. And arguably a bigger name within the club, Nathan Buckley, has for some time been an ambassador for Wolf Blass. And mm. recently at the beginning of 2020, they, um, I'm led to believe they launched the special Wolf Blass Bucks blend. That's now, correct. I believe your investigation demo showed up the fact that you can, can't really get a hold of any bottles. Uh, no, so, it was a sham. It's a sham. So we're thrilled today to mm. announce our first commercial partnership. At iHeart, we ask the tough questions, but some questions even we struggle to broach. Until we've had our fill of 2018 Wolf Blast Yellow Label Merlot, that is. Emboldened by the velvety plum depths and high alcohol content of these most exceptional wines, we develop the Dutch courage to go where no one else dares. And this is how we ask the questions no one else dares to ask. Introducing a new segment exclusive to Pie Hard. Blasphemy. Here's to the chase. <laughs> oh, well. As you guys can see, um, we have a bottle of uh, Wolf Blast. Uh, yellow Label Merlot 2018 in front of us sent to us kindly by the marketing department down at, uh, at Wolf Glass. Mm. And um, to kick off the segment, uh, of course, we're going to do a, a obligatory tasting, which is in the contract. Mm. It's got a um, it's got a rich, velvety nose, I can tell you that much. I would mm. suggest just having a little sip here. Mm. <sighs> wow. I'd say that that's definitely from the heartland of Wolf Blass. It's, mm. it's, it's got that uh, kind of epitome of character and consistency. It's a philosophy of winemaking more than anything else. Mm. Um, plum. I will say this about Wolf Blass. You won't find a better wine for under $6. <laughs> Dark cherry, sweet spices, subtle oak flavours. All that's from the label, of course. But to kick off this week's uh, first uh, blasphemy segment, I'm going to throw to you, Damien. Um, you've got uh, our first blasphemy. Well, thank you, Alex, and uh, wonderful intro. I do feel very honoured to um, to uh, be able to lead with the first uh, episode of or, or segment of blasphemy. But I will warn you, and I will warn our listeners, this is uncomfortable listening for many of you. So um, pour yourself a, a, a larger-than-normal um vat of uh, blast settle in and be prepared for some uncomfortable conversations. Now, the first blasphemy relates to our premier Ruckman, Brody Grundy. Oh. Now, I was watching Brody on the weekend. Now, clearly he's under a fitness cloud um, and we've seen Brody Grundy's numbers fall significantly over the last three weeks. I, I read something today which was a, a champion data ranking of the best ruckman in the competition at the moment, and based statistically on the numbers, he was ranked at – does anyone want to take a guess out of 10 where he was ranked? Nine. Nine. <laughs> you read this, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> uh, now, 
We, um, I was watching very carefully Brody Grundy on the weekend, and it is actually ridiculous how many centre bounces we lose with what I consider to be such a dominant ruckman. Mm. I mean, it's insane. And look, we know Grundy offers more than just you know um, that that kind of ruck role. He's versatile. He covers the ground. You know, many people have compared him to being like that fifth or or that extra midfielder. But, you know, if you're not converting hitouts to advantage or or translating that dominance into um, into like supply to your midfielders, then it nullifies all the other parts of his game. Now, we know, and this is a bit up in the air with COVID, but we know that Grundy has recently signed a mega seven-year deal with the club. But... And here's this week's blasphemy. Let's take a look at the Adelaide Crows, shall we? The Adelaide Crows currently hold picks number one and 13 in this year's draft. Oh, you're not, are you? Now, Collingwood, as it stands, we have a first-round pick and we're also poised to select our next generation academy prospect. And I love this name. I can't get enough of this name. Reef McInnes. Mm. Reef. What a name. What a fucking name. Uh, now, so we, we're, we're set up pretty well in this draft, okay? So we're, we're going to get a, a top 20 pick under the NGA. And we've also got a first rounder. And at the moment, it's not looking too great. So it looks like that first round pick could be quite high. Now let's think. Let's let's just let's just project another year. Now next year we have a father son in Nick Dacos, who is being touted potentially as a number one pick. Now he's definitely top three at the moment as it stands, barring injury or or a massive form slump. But many recruiters have touted him as a number one pick. So what I'm thinking is after the Beams disaster mm. and with an aging list and the the lack of a forward line. And with the likes of um, Pendlebury and Sidebottom coming, um, you know, nearing the, the end of their careers, my blasphemy for the week would be trading Brody Grundy to the Adelaide Crows for picks one and thirteen. Ooh, boy. Now, now that's it. Now, theoretically, this would net us three first-round picks this year, as well as two next year. So that's five, of which two are number one picks. Oh, shit. We we discussed last week that we have a very deep, we have five Ruckman on our list. So the way I see it is Ruck duties would fall to Cameron, who's slightly ahead of Max Lynch. Or, and this is my preferred option, is we look to bring in an established Ruckman a la a Darren Jolly. So someone that's been around, they're, you know, approaching their 30s, um, they've been involved in a successful team. I don't have any names to float with you and maybe you guys can suggest it. But Mumford. We've, Mumford. Mumford would fit, the, Mumford would fit the, the Collingwood party vibe. We bring in a mature Ruckman and then we use some of those picks, again, five picks in the first round, two of which are pick number ones, to lure Jeremy Cameron. And then removing Brody Grundy from our books frees up some salary cap pressure to lock in Dugowie and more. Now, my question off the back of this blasphemy to you gentlemen is, would you trade Brody Grundy for picks 1 and 13 to potentially set up 
a blockbuster trade bonanza. Demo, demo, demo. Oh, boy. Someone's got a lot of time on their hands. Maybe one too many cases of Wolf Blast sent to you uh, in the mail. Because uh, I think it's gone to your head. The answer is no. No way. Next, Al. Stop Look, laughing. Give us a serious answer. Well, for a start, I'm going to say I'm very impressed with the first blasphemy because you've, you've, you've set the bar high. I don't know how we're going to blaspheme to that degree. I mean, I've got the priest over my shoulder here um, bearing crosses at us because um, that is, that's heavy duty, that is. Um, You're going to sell a few cases, I reckon. Look, it's interesting. When, you, when I saw where your perspective was going, where your little chat was going, I thought he's not easy. This is ridiculous. Um, this is the premier big man in the league, in the prime of his career. We've just signed into a seven-year contract. The more you talked and this is a compliment, the more I started to come around. Mm. But there's a few there's a few things I disagree with. Um, I think that number one draft picks are, you know, notoriously fairly hard to pick the, the, the right talent for that, for that pick. And mm. I think that in any given draft year, the... Um, the depth and quality of the draft really kind of vacillates, goes up, goes up and down. And I think that to make that number one pick really worthwhile, you're going to want, let's be honest, a key forward a la one of the King brothers in recent drafts, um, fit the bill, a, a, a younger Jeremy Cameron. I don't think you're going to want to swap a um, mid-20s Grundy for a mid-to-late-20s Cameron. So... I'm erring on the side of no. I think that um, Grundy has the potential to be a generational type player because he can dominate in the ruck. And if he picks up on the trajectory he was on before, before this form slump, he has the potential to kind of change that ruck, rucking role for good and be the dynamic midfielder at ground level that we, we also know he can be. Turbo? Just another thing as well. I mean, number one draft pick next year, nobody's been playing all season. There's mm. been no competition. So you're really going a bit blind. Maybe give Brody one more year, get to see who's playing. So you actually have a real idea of who number one is. But in this COVID stricken year, when there's no under 18s, it's going to be pretty wild guess uh, with your number one pick. If you do get it. You don't have to use that number one pick on the draft. You could use that number one pick to uh, try and leverage an established you could potentially use it to get a forward and a, and a run. But you're saying, Damo, that Jeremy Cameron would be that target for you. Don't you think that you'd be better off using an, a really, really high pick like that on a player that's gonna we're going to get 10 years out of? I would say that that's probably the better strategy given where the team is at at the moment. Um, but... But Jeremy Cameron, how old is he? 28? Something like that, yeah. Potentially right. three or four years out of him. So if you still think that we're a chance in the next two years, I'd go Jeremy Cameron. If you're putting a line through the Collingwood Football Club and saying that potentially it's a little bit further, success is going to be a little bit further down the track, then I agree with the 10-year um, prediction. But, again, that's, this is the beauty of blasphemy. And uh, I think... Just based on the responses, we've uh, we've lit a bit of a fire. 
<laughs> Look, it was a noble, it was a noble blaspheme, but um, uh, a bit of devil's advocate going on. And I'm swinging, I'm swinging towards Turbo here. Uh, I'm happy to say, uh, at a vote of two versus one, we have declared Brody is staying. Okay, well, guys, ho- hold on for a second. I have. It's coming through at them. I've just had, I think this is, I believe this is our first ever Pie Hard exclusive. Mm. Now, we have just received word that there is another player calls his mum phone call video. It's just been released. Now, I don't know what this is, but let's, um, okay, so I can announce that as of Wednesday afternoon, 190-centimetre defender Trey Rusco will make his debut for the Collingwood Football Club in Thursday night's match against Sydney at the Gabba. Now, we all know Trey was taken at, I believe it was pick number 55 uh, in last year's draft, a relatively tall, well-built defender with a fantastic first name. Love the name Trey. Now, we're going we're gonna to attempt to play the phone call for you guys because I'm hearing... It's a goodie. Oh, I see. What? You decided to ring, did you? Yeah, I rung, yeah. How you going? Good, mate, but uh, how about a phone call every now and then? <laughs> I, gave you one, I gave you one the other day. Hey? I gave you one the other day. What? You did not. I just wanted to know how you went over there. Yeah, no, it's going pretty well. Um, I just got something to tell you. What, love? What have you done? What do you want? Something like that. <laughs> Uh, I'm playing my first game tomorrow. What? I'm playing my first game tomorrow, debut. Oh, f- off. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am. Oh, my God, Trey, that is unbelievable. Yeah, I know, it's good. Oh, are you stirring me up? No, I'm not, I'm serious. Look, I got my wire. Boys, <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, hello. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's good. I'm so proud of you, Joe. I can't right. believe so quick. Yeah, it's good. No, it's really good news. <laughs> oh, good on you, darling. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Thanks, Mum. Make sure you go out there and do the colours proud. Yeah, I will. Don't worry. All right, don't be a big wuss. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you, Dale. That's fantastic news. Yeah, thanks, Mum. Fantastic, honey. Thanks. Fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Oh, the only time, oh, well, at least you yeah. rang for something, I suppose. I was waiting for your phone call to get something off me. Anyway, that's fantastic. I'm so proud of you, Dale. Okay, honey, I'm so proud of you. Thanks, Mum. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> No, I didn't know Trey's mum was a, a member of the Collingwood Cheer Squad. <laughs> <gasps> wow, what a start. That is, um, that's a coincidence. We're talking about mum calls today and we've just, we've just got one of the, the greatest mum calls uh, possibly ever. Talk about putting a bit of pressure on your son. That video is going to be seen by millions, millions of people. So the, the amount of eyes that's, <laughs> that are going to be on Trey, not only Trey, but his mum uh, is going to be enormous. How's that? I, I, did the whole team fall over, did they? 
I want to know uh, if the mum knows uh, which team he plays for because she was like, do the colours proud. But uh, just kind of just seemed like, like, yeah, he plays football for some team. Mm. I don't know what goes on over there. And, you know, like that's kind of it, you know. Now, I think I think the, one of the things we've been loving about these phone call to your mum uh, type announcements is always with anything to do with live t- television or broadcasting is the risk of something going wrong. Mm. Or, or mum saying something at the start. Now, Trey Rusco's mum in delivering uh, the initial serve to Trey for not phoning in enough, which is um, which is fabulous. That is that is the moment. That is the moment when we received it, and we're blessed. We are blessed, and um, I can say, in all honesty, ten minutes ago we didn't know who Trey was. We'd, maybe we'd heard the name on a couple of occasions, mid fifties in the draft, but um, he's for, he's instantly known and liked by the Magpie Army. So that is a fair bit of pressure. Good luck to the boy. Now I'll tell you what: there'll be a bunch of media executives now scrambling mm. to get Trey's mum on all feed. football programs, uh, even a commentary gig Thursday. Oh, it'll be yeah. Hamish McLaughlin interviewing her at halftime. You can bet your money on it. So I think we should maybe make a play. I think we could potentially get Trey's mum on pie hard next week. I don't know. If, that... if we get in early, we get in early. Um, she doesn't seem to react too well to the old cold call, though, so you'd have to get through some <laughs> of the crust just to get through to her. It needs to be warmed up a little bit. <laughs> Fabulous stuff. And, um, well, that really leads us into the Sydney game pretty well. Go Trey. Well, uh, I think that's probably a good um, ending point for Pie Hard number 14. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Pie Hard Podcast. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And, well, gentlemen, we got our wish, another debutante. Uh, another call. Watch the, the game. What are we going to see? We're going to see goals galore. I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm and- play Roscoe's mum. Yeah, one camera permanently fixed on Trey Rusco's mum and her fourth husband. <laughs> Did anyone think that Trey already uh, looked a bit like Maynard in that in that brief little clip? Maybe we've got another little uh, angry uh, angry Maynard coming at us. Have a gold chain. Okay, all right. Well, that's it for another episode. This is Pie Hard. 